at the end of the day, it's about just recognizing that you get this one life and, and you owe it to yourself. And I think you owe it to your family, your community, even to the world to, to live the best version of that. And the only way you can do those things is to follow your purpose. And the only way you're going to follow your purpose is, is, is if you take responsibility for the things that are going on in your life and change the ones you don't like and, and lean into the ones you do. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Abundant Journey podcast. Super glad you can join us today. I am your host, Nick James, as always, and have a special show lined up with a guest co-host, Tyler from Tennessee. Tyler, it's been a while. How are you? It's good to see you, man. Yeah, it's been a minute, but we're doing great. Uh, Trying to keep up with four little boys, and so that's always special and challenging, but... uh, it's it's been great. So we got our, our fifth boy that'll be here at the end of the That's year. That's incredible. So, and and insane. Uh, life is <laughs> wide open, nothing but gas. Pedals. That's it. Well, so, uh, and then fighting fight fighting the humidity. That's right. Yeah. No. This time of year, you guys got the humidity. We have the great weather, and uh, of course, you're chasing the boys around. But it's great to have you on the show. You know, I don't know that most of our guests realizes this, but you and I. You know, we were stomping around in the early 2000s together in Tennessee, and I don't know if anybody even says stomping around anymore. But that might be a thing of the past. It's been a second since I've heard that, but I'm down. I'm here for it. <laughs> I love it. Well, Tyler, tell us a little bit. We got a great show lined up today. We got a special guest, somebody that you've gotten to know quite a bit, and uh, someone whose their story we heard a while ago. So tell us a little bit about what's in store. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got um, we've got Jeff Holst with us. Um, he's got just a radical story. Um, certainly, one of the most interesting entrepreneurs that I've ever I've ever come across. Um, he's an author um, of No Bad Days, incredible book. Um, he's got a couple podcasts, uh, Last Life Ever, and the Old Fashioned Podcast. Um, and uh, just a just a really um, I, the word that I think of when I think of Jeff is is an overcomer. I mean, he's just somebody that's overcome some um, some unbelievable challenges, um, and then not just overcome those challenges, but then still strives for uh, excellence and success. And so excited for um, abundant journey to get get to hear uh, from him. And actually, a, a you know an interesting piece about Jeff. Jeff he's actually the first pod the first real estate podcast that I ever listened wow. to. Uh, you actually sent me the bigger pockets um, episode that he was on nearly two years ago <laughs> and um, year and a half two years ago and when I, when we heard his story we were like, oh my gosh, this is what this guy has overcome and what what he's done. Uh, is fascinating, and then you you were actually dude. We listened to it, and and it was like he's a Chattanooga na- native. He lives right here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in Hickson, Tennessee. I used to live, you know. There's another right real the estate corner. guy so, in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine that. Um, and so, actually, reached out to Jeff and and had the privilege to get a few breakfasts with him at this little truck stop breakfast joint. That's just awesome. Um, and so. Uh, excited to hear his story and excited for our audience to get a chance to to listen and, and even just glean um, from someone who has experienced some high highs some low lows um, and still just continue to pursue, uh, again, just pursue excellence, financial freedom. And um, I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. Well, I you got me on the edge of my seat. So let's bring him in. Jeff, thanks for being here. How are you, man? 
you know, no bad days. I like so, so pretty well. Man, you know, that guy that you were just describing sounds pretty awesome. I should try to meet that guy someday. Yeah, yeah, you should. Uh, maybe I connect connect you guys at some point. <laughs> but that, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're actually far too kind. I'm really not that interesting. But hopefully we can bring some value today. So thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's, it's, you know, thanks for being here with us. And I know that you do a lot of traveling. So being able to get you lined up on the calendar has been something we've wanted to do since the inception of doing a podcast. We said, this is going to be a guy we wanted to have on. So again, thanks for being here. Well, Jeff, what I want to do is let's tell the audience a little bit about who you are, what you're doing today before we jump more into your backstory and just kind of the history of where you got to where you are. So what are you doing? Tell us who you are. Sure. So, um, yeah, as, as Tyler alluded to, you know, I'm an author. I, I just, my book came out in April. So, uh, that was my big focus for this year, honestly, for, for projects. I just wanted to make sure the book sold a few copies. Um, and, and by the way, not for the money, just, it's just about like getting the story out, getting the message out. I think I have something important to say. I think if people could have one less bad day, it would make the world better. So if yeah. we can give up all of our bad days, it makes the world a lot better. Um, so that's why I spend a lot of time working on that. But like you said, you know, I have a couple podcasts, the Old Fashioned Real Estate Show um, and then the Last Life Ever podcast. And those are just about helping people live the best version of their life, whether it's through real estate or something else. Um, I, you know, I have a fair amount of real estate, so I, I live off of that. I go back and forth between Tennessee and Puerto Rico now, spend uh, about half my time in each. Actually, probably more like 40% of my time in each. Um, and the rest traveling. I just got back from the South Pacific. I was in um, Sydney, Australia, and I took a cruise out to Fiji and back. So that was wow. pretty nice. Um, yeah, I've been I've been really fortunate. And like you said, traveling a lot um, in the last two years. I've been to, huh? It just occurs to me I've been to six out of the uh, seven continents in the last year and a half. Uh, I should have I should have been paying more attention. I could have went to all seven in that time frame. <laughs> Um, what was the one well, you I didn't make? Was it Antarctica? Uh, no, I was in Antarctica last year, actually. <laughs> um, it was a pretty great trip down there. But no, the one I didn't make was uh, Asia, which I've been to a few times before, so it's okay. We'll, we'll let it slide this time. But uh, that's awesome. But yeah, so that's kind of what I do. I mean, I, I, I really do spend a lot of time just traveling and, and a lot of time trying to do educational stuff for people and help them out and things like that. That's so cool. Well, and I, you know, it hasn't always been that way for you, right? You, you uh, I know a little bit more about your story and the audience is going to get to know, but it's cool to hear and see that at, through your journey, through your story, now you're getting to spend time doing the stuff, stuff that you enjoy, the writing, helping people, the traveling. So let's go backwards a little bit, but we're going to go even before you started into real estate. Tell us early life, what that was like growing up, family, you know, we're folks sure. entrepreneurs. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I can go real far back. Sure. I was born on a Thursday. It was <laughs> it was in the spring of 1978. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I don't think you want me to go quite that far back. You know, so um, where, where my story really starts and the way I normally tell it is I talk about when I was practicing law. But the reality is it really started before that when I was in high school. Uh, my parents... Um, you know, like all parents had issues, but they were pretty good people and they still are good people. But they were going through a divorce when I was about, from when I was 15 to when I was 18. It was long and messy. Um, and I had this girlfriend that I broke up with and I was uh, about 17 years old at the time. And I just 
had, I had all that teenage angst and everything that everyone has. And uh, I made a decision um, that changed the course of my life at that point. So um, the first thing I did is I walked into a bathroom with a knife intending to uh, kill myself, which is hard to even imagine for me now because it's, you know, 30 years ago or uh, almost 30 years ago now, pretty close, 28 years, 29 years ago, something like that. I'm dating myself, but, um, but you know, I, uh, I don't think I really wanted to kill myself, like retrospectively, I really don't, I mean, I really don't know. I certainly didn't do it, but it wasn't a cry for help kind of thing either. You know, I didn't tell anyone about it, not a single person, until I wrote my book two years ago or two and a half years ago, sure. sitting, by the way, at that cafe that I first met Tyler at is where I wrote those words. Um, That's a good spot. You know, and described that story for the first time, so... Um, and then I took it back to my um, now ex-wife and I showed it to her and I said, I said, look, I got, I want you to read this and tell me what you think. And she was shocked. That's how many people I told, not even my wife of 19 years at the time. And, um, and you know, so, so I know it wasn't like that, but I, I walked into the bathroom with, you know, with, with this, this sort of deep darkness inside of me. And I put this knife on my wrist and it kind of had a serrated blade. And I think that like really helped to me because it hurt, you know, like I, I'm not um, recommending people, uh, you know, kill themselves. And certainly if they're in a situation where they're having those kind of thoughts, they need to grab a suicide prevention line or something like that. And, yeah. and there's tons of resources out there for people. Um, but I walked in there without thinking those things. And I felt the pain of the blade on my wrist. And I literally went, this is dumb. I'm trying to, um, I'm giving myself more pain to get rid of pain. And I started thinking about all of the people that would be upset and all of the negatives that would come from it. And I thought, I can't do this right now. So I'm just going to try to make today a good day. And I don't know where that came from, you know, I, I guess grace of God or something, because I, I didn't have like mentors or we didn't even have YouTube back then. This is like the mid 90s, right? I never heard of Tony Robbins or any of the mantras and affirmations. But I just went, you know, today, I'm going to make today a good day. And I just said, today's a good day, 10 days out loud into the mirror. I threw the knife in the kitchen sink and, you know, I walked out of the bathroom, threw the knife in the kitchen sink and, and, and I never looked back from it. And every time I saw a mirror for weeks, I just would say out loud to myself, today's a good day until people thought I was crazy, you know. I'd be like, today's a good day. I mean, if I was in a big crowd, I might like think it instead of say it out loud because I didn't want to look totally crazy. <laughs> but I just decided I would try to do that for a while. And uh, probably about a month or so later, I walked into a 7-Eleven and the guy behind the counter said to me, you know, how are you doing today? And I said, I never have bad days. And then I literally went, holy crap, I never have bad days, <laughs> you know. And, and I realized that I hadn't had a bad day in at least a few weeks. And uh, that was, you know, like I said, it was in the mid 90s. I haven't had a bad day since, like even though lots of, you know, challenging circumstances have happened to me, but, but that really forms the core of who I am. I started telling people I never have bad days and I started thinking about never having bad days. And, you know, I know how this stuff works retrospectively, but the important part is it did work, right? The science behind it is probably irrelevant. It's like, if you identify yourself in a certain way, you, you become that person. And uh, that's what I did. And I, I did it without, I did it sort of instinctually. And I'm very fortunate that I did it because the things that happened later in life, the, the great challenges of my life, things like um, getting diagnosed with leukemia and being forced into bankruptcy, um, all of those things were much more readily dealt with through the lens of, I don't have bad days. So I need to find the positive in this thing. And, 
And, you know, people would say, oh, that's crazy. Like, you can't possibly have never have bad days. In fact, my brother, who I love and, and who now I think gets it right. But like when we were much younger and I was diagnosed with leukemia in 2008 and I was 30 years old, he came into the hospital the night I was diagnosed and he said, I bet today's a bad day. Almost like he wanted to prove it wasn't possible, you know. And I just kind of was like, I was diagnosed at 10 o'clock at night. It wasn't that bad. Like most of the day was pretty good, you know. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the next day was a little bit harder, right? Because, you know, I'm in the hospital all day knowing that I have leukemia. And, and honestly, we thought I was going to die. Like my white blood cell count was super high. And um, I remember telling my dad that, um, he asked me, he said something like, if you live till February, this is in September, right? If you live till February, I'll take you to Australia. And uh, I was like, I'm just hoping to make it till Christmas. You know, that's where we were at, you know, in a couple of months to live kind of situation. And I didn't know anything about leukemia at the time, other than my uh, cousin had died of a different type of leukemia a few years earlier. Um, and her white blood cell count at the peak was about 150,000 and mine was 250,000. And I thought, well, that can't be good. Wow. You know, like, and I felt really terrible. And they were saying things like um, uh, acute such and such leukemia and all these different terms were being thrown around while they were waiting for the bone marrow biopsies to come back and confirm what I actually did have, which turned out to be, um, fortunately, uh, something that was um, very treatable. I, 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 interestingly, it was a disease that it's called chronic myeloid leukemia that um, if I had got diagnosed five years earlier, I would have certainly died. It had a um, five-year survival rate of uh, something like 92% or something like that. Or I mean, I mean, like, you know, a five-year death rate, like wow. a 2%, like eight, 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 9% five-year survival rate. Um, you know, I might have made it through that, but those aren't great odds. But now the five-year survival rate's in the high 90s. And um, they came out with this drug in a year or two beforehand, and it was kind of still experimental when I went on it. But I've been on it now for... 14, 15 years almost. Still here. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I'm still here kicking around and, uh, um, you know, I made it through. But just to circle back for one second, that second day in the hospital, my uh, um, was a bit more challenging, you know, than that. I couldn't use that, well, 22 hours were pretty good line again. And so I had to find something positive and my brain was just like, without even me realizing it because I'd been doing it for 10, 12 years before this, it was searching for positivity and everything that was going on. And I think if I had got diagnosed a month after I decided to give up bad days, it would have been different, but I had conditioned myself to look for it. And it was about two in the afternoon, there was a shift change and this nurse came in and she looked at me and she said, oh my God, Jeff, I'm so sorry to see you here. And I went, oh my God, Shelly, I'm so happy to be here. And she was like, you're insane. But the thing is, at that moment, I was recognizing this this nurse as my childhood babysitter that I hadn't seen in like a decade. And I was just so overcome with happiness about seeing her that it made my day good. And I started thinking at that point, it was like all these people coming to see me and caring for me. And I've got good doctors and nurses and my family's here. and My friends are showing up like I'm very fortunate no matter what happens. I'm going to live the rest of my life knowing that that all these people cared about me. And um, it caused me to, to make that day good. And the thing is, like, how you perceive the day is really all that matters. Because, like, right now, somewhere in the world, someone's having the worst day in their life. There's no doubt. Somewhere else, someone's having the best day in their life. So the day is objectively neither good nor bad. It's just a function of um, 
what, what the per individual is thinking about it. And so at that moment, I thought it was a good day. And retrospectively, it's turned into be like the best day of my life, honestly, because that's the day I decided to quit practicing law, um, a, a career I didn't really love. Um, that's the day that I decided to start investing in real estate. It took me a year or so after that. I, you know, I went through a personal bankruptcy as a bankruptcy attorney, by the way. So that was ironic and another difficult day, but not a bad day. Um, because those days, those, those hard days are where the real growth came, right? Those are the days where um, I got to make the decisions that put me on the course to be able to talk to you guys today. And if, it hadn't, if I hadn't gone through those, I'd be a, you know, a no bad day, um, marginally bored lawyer in uh, West Michigan now. And instead I get to live in Puerto Rico and go to Antarctica and do all this cool stuff. I mean, heck, I went to Tanzania twice last year. Wow. On safari in the Serengeti, uh, I actually thought about buying a safari lodge just to take people out and show them the the animals and all that. And I might still do that. Um, and and I would never have been able to have any of those kind of experiences if I hadn't uh, yeah. gone through what I went through. Well, and man, I, I love the story, and I want to unpack a little bit more of it because it's interwoven into really who you are and who you've become. And just love that. So thank you for sharing. I'm curious though. What is it about, you know, it's not like you're saying, it isn't the fact that you just pretend or it's not that you're running around with your head in the sand pretending that there are no bad things or there are no bad situations. But really what I hear from you is there's just this mindset and really the ultimate power that we have as people to make choices within our day and controlling what you can control and really pushing forward and leaning into those things. So how for you has that really gotten you to where you are today because like you're saying i mean it, it's 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 propelled you and, and put you on this launch pad of hey it's a mindset of who i am who i want to be i mean what's what's really gotten you to that um gotten you to that point yeah so i think part of it is you know some of the things i've gone through have really helped right because <clears throat> there's this mantra I have, which is grow, grow through the pain, don't go through the pain. Like if you're going to go through it anyway, you might as well grow through it, right? Mm -hmm. So so when, when the tough stuff happens, and it's going to happen, I mean, good and bad stuff happens to everyone every day, right? Some days are going to have more tough stuff, some days are going to have less, but we're going we're gonna to go through tough stuff every day. Um, and, you know, and I think having a positive mindset and, and looking for the positive in, in the negative um, helps you see a clear path forward. Right. Um, it would have been really easy for me to roll up in a corner and cry instead of um, go to the best doctors. Right. Most people, um, maybe not, not everyone, but, but a lot of people do that. Right. A lot of people just sort of give up. They get diagnosed with what um, is a life threatening illness and they just go, well, whatever my doctors say, that's what I'm going to do. And that's the end of it. But I was having conversations with my oncologist and saying, look, doc, if you we're in my exact situation and you could see any doctor in the world, who would you see? You know, and I was having that clarity of mind and I ended up seeing that doctor in fact, although she said, just keep doing what you're doing. So it might have been overkill, but, um, but uh, you know, I just had this mindset, like I'm gonna figure this stuff out. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do whatever I need to do. Uh, and it comes back to, you know, I didn't know this quote then, but there's a quote by the Miracle Morning author, Hal Elrod, and he says, the moment you accept 100% responsibility for everything in your life is the moment that you can change anything in your life. Mm. And mm. Um, I kind of went, well, it's not my fault that I got leukemia. It is my responsibility to deal with it. And I was able to do wow. that because I was looking for positive. And, you know, there's 
a myriad of ancient wisdom on this. The serenity prayer is really good for this, you know, getting yourself the courage to accept the things you can't change. And that's how I try to deal with it, you know. Um, <clears throat> there's another quote I really like from uh, the Buddha, and I'm very much not Buddhist, but I, I think this is really smart. He's talking about worrying, and he says it never makes sense to worry because you can either do something about it, and then you're better off to just do something about it. Or you can't, and then worrying doesn't help. And that's kind of how I deal with bad stuff, right? It's like, take responsibility for it, deal with it to the extent that you can, and then move on and not worry about it because you can't do anything about it. Like, did what I could to cure myself of leukemia, and if I had, and, and if I had, if, and then I can't worry about the rest, right? Like, I just have to stop. If it didn't work out, it didn't work out. I had to accept my fate. And actually, in a lot of ways, thinking for several days that I was certain to die, and then even after I started treatment, thinking, you know, this may not work because it was relatively new and experimental at the time, um, that gave me a clarity of mind to learn a lot of really important lessons, right? Like, and I still to this day take a oral chemotherapy every single day, which is like a one a day reminder of my own mortality. It's like, do I want to stay alive or not? Mm. I can take this or not, right? Now, granted, if I miss one pill, I'm probably not dying, but, um, but, but the cumulative effect of that is I would, right? So I get to make this choice every day. And that, that moment when I, when I stop for a second and I think, this is a choice. I'm choosing to be alive. It's really, it's really powerful for me because then when I wake up the next morning, I can say, you chose this. So whatever, you know, stuff happens, <laughs> like it was your choice. And then, and then it's like, okay, now how do I make, uh, make that happen in the best possible way? And then the other thing that it happens when you think, when you recognize your own mortality and we're all going the same place, we're all going to die, right? Like it is going to happen. Yep. And once you recognize that, it puts a little urgency in your life, right? So it accelerates things. It's really easy when you're 30 to say, oh, you know, I've got a long time. In fact, I was doing that, right? I wanted to invest in real estate since I was 15 years old. I know that's weird, but that was just a thing. I, <laughs> I would drive around with my parents. I remember I was on my learner's permit and I saw this big abandoned building and I said to my mom, someday I want to own a big building like that. She thought I was insane, you know? Um, <laughs> probably of a hundred thousand square foot, like, you know, industrial flex space. And you know what I have now? A hundred thousand square foot industrial flex space. So we'll go with that, <laughs> um, you know, but, but, uh, you know, it's amazing how, how much you can accomplish when you recognize that, you know, you can't wait. Like I used to say someday I'm going to invest in real estate. And then I went bankrupt and I was in the middle of a great global recession. And I thought I have no money and no credit. This is the perfect time to start buying real estate because I was like, I can't wait. I don't know. Someday may never come. That's incredible. I, I think that Jeff, you tap in on something that takes this idea of no bad days, which is, is hot. You know, when you first hear it, it's highly conceptual. And I think you just tapped into a very practical detail that helps um, sort of hone that idea into practical application. Um, but when you mention, you know, the idea that, um, you know, the circumstances that we find ourselves in are not necessarily something that is just, you know, has been done to us. And now, you know, we're going to slip into this self-loathing state of thinking. Um, instead, you view that as a responsibility and something that you have to steward as you walk through it. I, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I, I, I feel like culturally um, we, we have a high, high um, uh, percentage of victim mentality where anything negative that occurs to us 
it's immediately someone else's fault and there's an expectation that somebody else needs to be the one that fixes it. Um, and so what do you what do you think that the primary causality of that that type of thinking is where we immediately begin to look at other people for the solution and other people as the cause um, that keeps us from taking responsibility? You know, it's, it's interesting because I think about this a lot, although I'm going to deflect your question for a second and give you some history of my thoughts. Um, so, you know, I'm very fortunate. I grew up in uh, uh, West Michigan, which had a lot of Protestant Dutch influence. And um, the Protestant work ethic was such that we, we never thought that way. Like, like growing up, like we never, like when bad stuff happened to us, we never thought, oh, like someone else's problem. It, as evidenced by my own reaction to like, my own depression as a teenager, right? Like I went, this is dumb, like I need to fix this because I've been conditioned from a young age to see people just going out and, you know, rolling up their sleeves and pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. And if you go back culturally into the history of the United States right now, in fact, I'm reading Ben Franklin's autobiography, right? So I mean, right back to the founding fathers, um, we have a long history of doing exactly what I said. It's only the last generation or two where this victim mentality has sort of surfaced. And I think it's come from um, the fact that it's easy to sell to people. Um, and yeah. and, and it's, it's, um, it's destructive to society. And it's, it's not just a uniquely American thing. It's coming up all over the world. Mm. Um, we're blaming people. Um, and, and by the way, it's also not brand new. It's more prevalent now because it's more readily uh, available to be seen. Things like social media have made it a lot easier to notice. But I mean, the victim mentality existed forever, right? You had people during the Boston Tea Party that were like, you know, some people took action, right? And, mm -hmm. and tried to overthrow the, the uh, English rule. And some people sat around and complained about it, right? Like that's always, there's always gonna be some of both. Um, the real question is like, you know, what's the dominant culture? And right now, I think you're right. I think it's getting to be more of a victimization culture. That's certainly what's playing better on the news. That's what's playing better in social media. Um, it's not something I actually see much because I, I purposely curate what goes into my brain. So if people are negative on social media, I just unfollow them. You know, I don't watch news because I, I can get enough just from like, the, you know, scanning the headlines to know if there's anything I really need to know going on. Like, you know, and if there's something happening like the war in Ukraine right now, I pay enough attention to it um, to know what's up. And then I'm and then I move on because I don't need to hear commentary and talk about, you know, because I, I, I know what I, I know what I believe already. I, and I don't, don't want to, like, be negatively influenced by that. I, I had a friend who called that protecting your bubble. You know, like like there's this thing in, in society now where they're where they're saying, like, you shouldn't live in a bubble because like you should be exposed to other ideas. And I don't disagree with that on, on principle. I travel the world. I try to listen to what other people have to say. I just try to protect myself from the influence of the like cultural elite, right? Like I'm very happy to talk to a Tanzanian coffee farmer, but I don't really care what the government of the United States says about the government of Tanzania. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I want to know what the guy on the ground talk, you know, is talking about. And I'm fortunate enough to know a lot of these people, you know, through my travels, I've made friends with people that grow flowers in Fayum, Egypt, and I've made friends with, you know, people that, you know, literally their job is to help 
you know, rich Americans climb mountains, you know, just weird stuff like that, you know, all over the world. Um, and it's been really, actually really nice um, to be, and it's, it's not all, you know, impoverished areas too. Like, you know, I have um, over multiple trips to Australia, made multiple friends there and, you know, have a chance to go back and see them when I visit and stuff and hear what they say. And those are the people that I care about their opinions, the real people on the street. And, um, and I don't think the majority of, of the world or the majority of Americans are really fully victimized. You know, I don't think that there's this whole, like, it's certainly what we see on social media. But I don't think it's as prevalent and I don't think it's it's very destructive and it can get, it could continue to accelerate and get worse. It's something we should definitely be aware of, but I don't think it's as bad as most people think it is. Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree with you. Um, you know, it's it's interesting you mention sort of your, um, you know, the culture and the ideals that you were steeped in as a kid growing up where, you know, the, 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 the culture that, that most you know, most individuals that you are surrounded by, their approach was if there's a problem, uh, we roll up our sleeves and we, we address it and we deal with it. We, we, I mean, that's, that's the way through. The idea that we can kind of circumvent the issues that show up in life and kind of skate around them and the consequences that are attached to them is kind of a mirage. It's not, it's not actually real. At some point, even if you pretend to skate around you know, the, the challenges or the circumstances that aren't enjoyable, um, you know, and it, it's inevitable that at some point you're going to have to walk through that. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're not living in, in, in reality. So in, in the same way that you were, you, you know, you, you were uh, steeped in that type of culture, I think you're correct also, and it's really the last couple generations that have um, taken, um, taken the bait, if I can say it that way, on this, this idea um, of, of predominantly being a victim, what, what would be your challenge or your exhortation to someone who didn't experience what you did? Uh, they didn't grow up the way that you did. They didn't grow up around, surrounded by people that approached uh, life um, the way that your parents and grandparents, cousins, and community did. But instead, their experience has been predominantly it's always someone else's fault and they need to be the ones to fix it. And I'm going to be more of a complainer than a conqueror of the circumstances. What would be the thing that you would say, you know, practically, this is what needs to happen for you to break this mindset. Yeah. So I'm going to start by deflecting again. I apologize, but, but like, um, if you're a parent right now, um, don't be a helicopter parent, you know, let your kids work through some stuff on their own. I mean, I'm not saying put them in danger, obviously, but like, I think that's where this starts, right? Is like, is, is in the, in the household. Um, if your parents are constantly solving problems for you and they're not ever letting you work through stuff, they're not making you do the things that you need to do. Like when I was a child, we had to learn things. We had to go to school. We had to do our homework. But like, I know kids now that like their parents argue with their teachers and they're like, you're giving my kids too much homework. And it's like, that is not the right strategy at all. <laughs> there might be a time when that's true, but but it's pretty rare, I think, especially now. Um, and, and and we need to like we need to be able to put faith in our children from the beginning. But but let's say you you did grow up in a situation where where you where you, you know can't control your upbringing, and now you're you know you're a, you're a young adult or uh, or even a middle aged person, and you're trying to figure out like how do I navigate forward? I would just say, look, when adversity happens, and adversity will happen recognize that you really only have two choices. You can either ignore it and then it's going to just keep getting worse or you can deal with it. And you're always going to be better off to deal with it. Um, 
And yeah, you could sit around and blame people about it. That is one way to deal with it, but it's very unlikely to solve it, right? I mean, if there's a, um, all of these circumstances are different, right? Because like, you know, if you're going through certain things, like complaining to people might solve it, right? If your um, neighbor is attacking your, your dog, like, you know, complaining to the police might make sense, right? But like, if you're, um, if you're just like, you gotta you gotta just learn how to deal deal with the circumstances of your life it comes back to taking responsibility for it right to look at it with an objective mind and say what's the solution that would make the most sense what's the thing that would if it happened would make me the most content and then figure out how to work yourself as close to that solution as you can you're not always going to get there that's the other part you have to accept that life isn't going to be perfect like if you are going to blame you know everyone for everything and you're not gonna and, and you're you're never gonna find perfect right like it's not gonna happen there's no such thing as a utopia like we know that the government's gonna do things we dislike it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on you're gonna see stuff that happens that you don't like which is why i say you know protect your bubble a little bit yeah. but like at the end of the day it's about just recognizing that you get this one life here on earth right and and, and you owe it to yourself and I think you owe know, it to your family, your community, even to the world, to, to live the best version of that. And the only way you can do those things is to follow your purpose. And the only way you're going to follow your purpose is, is, is if you take responsibility for the things that are going on in your life and change the ones you don't like and, and lean into the ones you do. That's good. That's brilliant. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And I, I love that. I mean, just taking complete ownership for what's going on in your life. You know, let's get back to your story with that frame and that thought process. You had mentioned the bankruptcy attorney. You had mentioned in there that that was kind of a catalyst for getting into real estate. So you mentioned loving real estate when you were younger, but it, it doesn't sound like it was something that you were doing at the time. So tell us a little bit about that time of your life and then how that really, that ownership had kind of propelled you into real estate. Yeah, so, you know, like I said, I went, I went through the, the leukemia and thought I was going to die. And, um, and I had a small law firm. I was a bankruptcy lawyer. And I was like, I even had a television commercial, you know, and, and, and you know, we had a, it sounds crazy now because it was a long time ago, but like we had the back page of the phone book, you know, we were like the better call Saul of West Michigan. Uh, you know, like I wasn't, oh, that's the trajectory I was on. I was growing the firm. I'd hired uh, two other bankruptcy attorneys to work with me. Uh, well, one other bankruptcy attorney, one criminal defense attorney. And then uh, one of them uh, ended up getting engaged and moving uh, to Rhode Island or something, and then I and then I got diagnosed with um, leukemia. And the week I was diagnosed, the other one put in a two week notice. Mm -hmm. So I went from three attorneys down to zero, essentially, um, in a very short period of time. And we had a lot of overhead, um, five six thousand dollars a week to break even. And uh, I was making good money before that. It was two thousand eight, and we were doing bankruptcy work. There was tons of them, right? Like we, we were making really good mm -hmm. money, so we were able to survive for a while. But after about a year and a half. Um, of, of just accumulating more and more debt. Um, we just couldn't, uh, we couldn't do it anymore. And I finally said, you know, I gotta do something different. Um, and then, you know, filed bankruptcy, uh, took a job in Tennessee. That's how I ended up in Tennessee, um, working for a trucking company. Um, and, and, you know, and I, I, I just 
recognize that that was you know it's about taking responsibility for the situation you're in i uh, you know you could say it's failure sure i guess but i didn't really like being a lawyer that much anyway and i took a um opportunity and said you know what i'm going to do something different i'm going to reinvent my life i'm going to um, and it wasn't an easy decision. You know, I could have continued practicing law. There's no prohibition against being a lawyer uh, after bankruptcy. I just knew that I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something that was going to fulfill my life, whatever time I had left. And even still then, a year and a half after being diagnosed, I, I didn't know how long the drugs were going to work. You know, I'm, they were saying, oh, yeah, you should have a good five, ten years. Easy. And, I, you know, that didn't sound that long to me. Um, now they're saying it's, you know, kind of indefinite. But uh, um, and ho hopefully it does continue along that those lines. Right. But, um, yeah, so I just kind of was in the situation where I'm like, I got to figure this out. And so I took the job and I um, started saving money. I got some bonuses and stuff like that. And I thought, I need to figure out a way to get into real estate. So I started calling a friend of mine who I'd met in law school who um, who was doing some real estate investing up in Michigan. And I said, hey, if something comes up, I have, you know, have like $15,000 saved up. If something comes up, I mean, things were so cheap then, right? And we had no credit. So we ended up buying this condo for $30,000 that rented for like $600 a month, you know, 2% rule. Like, <laughs> we wish I had that now. Like, for people that don't know what that is, it's like the percentage of uh, rents to the purchase price is like, uh, that's insane. If you could get 1% now, you jump it up oh, yeah. and down for, and this was 2%, right? And uh, man, we still own that condo now today. Wow. Um, you know, whatever, how many, 16 years later, I guess it is now or something like that. Uh, well, no, I guess it's it's 13 years later. You know, we still own it. Rents are like twelve ninety five now. Um, you know, we, we refinanced it once since, but uh, it's, um, you know, I just was like, I gotta buy this condo. Like, I don't have a choice. And I remember talking to my wife and saying, hey, like, I wanna do this and it's gonna take all of our cash. <laughs> I don't actually recommend that. <laughs> you know, unless, I guess if you're buying for cash, you don't have to worry about it as much, right? But I was like, I don't recommend you know taking every last dollar you have to do it. And she said to me, well, if it doesn't work out, we're never doing any real estate investing again. Fortunately, it has worked out and kept buying real estate after that. Um, and you know, then I was broke again and I, I wanted to buy more real estate. So we just had to figure it out. We did a lot of uh, private money type stuff. and. Um, things like that. And we just started with single family houses and duplexes, did that for five years um, until around 2016 or 17. Um, around that time, the company I was working for was getting sold to a bigger company and they offered me a severance or a job at a publicly traded company. I took the severance, uh, never went back to work, started buying apartment buildings in 2017. Um, and that was great timing. So I had two really fortuitous things. I started buying single family houses in 2011 at the bottom of the market. And then we started selling those um, in 2017 after they'd come up a long ways and use them to buy, um, use that capital to buy small apartment buildings, 10, 12, 15, 20 unit buildings. Yep. Um, and those have done super well since 2017. Oh, yeah. So we had really good timing twice in a row. Um, you know, and I, and then I don't think that's, you know, cause I'm a genius. I think that's just good luck. But, um, the other side of it is, you know, still taking responsibility. A lot of people would have said, I don't have any credit. I don't have any money. Someday when I save up some money, I'll start investing in real estate. But I just said, I don't know if someday is going to come. Like I interviewed this guy on last life ever. His name is, um, Jeff Alt. He wrote this book about hiking the Appalachian trail, um, called, uh, walk for sunshine. 
Um, but, but when I interviewed him, I said, you know, what, what possessed you to like, you know, right after college to go out and walk the Appalachian Trail and write a book about it? You know, and this is because, um, you know, most people, when they get out of college, they want to get a job, right? That's sure. sort of what we do. Now, the rest of the world, yeah, take a year off, but it's unusual here in America to do that. So so he said, well, listen, he was in a car accident and um, he was he was actually walking down the street and there was a car accident in front of him and the vehicle um rolled over and, and pinned his leg. Hmm. So he was involved in this accident even though he wasn't in the car. And uh, But if it had been just a little bit different, um, it would have killed him, right? Like, you know, rollover vehicle accident that's coming at you, like, that's not good. And, and he didn't suffer tremendous injuries, if I remember correctly. Um, but he recognized then that he couldn't bank on his health. He couldn't bank on a future date. And he was like, something I've always wanted to do is walk the Appalachian Trail. So I need to do it now while I'm young and healthy uh, before something happens that makes it so I can't. And uh, that's the kind of rationale I think that, that it takes um, to be successful. Richard Branson has this quote in his book, Screw It, Let's Do It, where he says the difference between successful people and those who never succeed is successful people uh, take action without all the possible information. So I just try to like, mm. lean into that stuff. People that are a lot smarter and a lot more successful than me say, you just got to go do that stuff. So I just went and did it. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. And, you know, uh, living with urgency, living with that, it's interesting that you shared his story with hiking and it came after that. Also your story and the leukemia that forced you into taking action. What, what would you say to people who really are on the sidelines and, you know, they have that fear, you know, there's, there's walls of fear. What if this happens? What if that happens? What, what if it all goes wrong? I mean, Really, there's there's kind of a level. I don't think it's far to say that you were probably at your lowest between the leukemia and then also the bankruptcy. And there was kind of a, well, I got nothing left to lose in that regard. But what about somebody who's on the other end and they're like, I feel like I got a lot to lose, but yet they're going to stay on the sidelines instead of go for their dreams. Yeah. So, I mean, well, one thing is I have a lot to lose now and I'm still taking risks, right? Calculated risks. Like you have to do it. Let's, it's, that's the lesson, right? And well, I wouldn't wish leukemia and bankruptcy on anybody because it's a terrible experience. It's not something you want to go through. I'm glad, as you, as, as you said, it's, it's, it gave me a, well, there's really nothing left to risk, right? Like I'm already, I'm already bankrupt. I already have a negative net worth because, um, you know, my student loans didn't go away. Um, so why not give it a try? Right, like what difference could it make at this point? But the reality is, it still was risk, right? The, the little bit of savings that I had, the safety net that we had that we had built up over that year post bankruptcy, um, I was risking that. Um, I also was, you know, the way bankruptcy works, ineligible for future bankruptcies for for eight years. So I was going to be crushed by debt if I accumulated debt at that point. You know, mm -hmm. I needed to. There was no, there was no, there was no safety net. The bankruptcy safety net was gone. So. Um, so, so I, I think that, you know, it's, it's about perspective, really, you know, like there's always going to be some risk. Um, and the question I would ask is, is, you know, if you look back on your life, what are you going to regret more? You know, are you going to regret more the things that you didn't try or the things you tried and failed at? And I think the answer is you're going to regret the things you didn't try. I, I always frame it through this story. So when I was 21 years old, I uh, decided to backpack around Europe. I, I, I could get into a lot of detail about why I did that. But um, I was backpacking around Europe and I had a very limited budget. I was in between a community college and, under, and my regular undergrad. 
And, um, and I, I was just, you know, I was wandering around Europe, almost out of money. And I was in Southern Spain. There's a part in Southern Spain where there's a ferry that goes to Morocco, right? Like you can go, cause it's not very far across the Strait to Gibraltar. In fact, you can see um, North Africa from Southern Spain. Most people don't recognize that, but it's, it's only like 17 or 18 miles and there's mountains in North Africa. So you can see these mountains from the coast. And I'm looking at across the, the water at, at North Africa, at Morocco, and at that time, I'd never been to Africa. I'd definitely never been to Morocco. And I really wanted to go. Like, it was the plan. I'm going to go to Morocco. And I was afraid. I was like, I've never, I'd never traveled out of the U.S. other than to Canada at this point. Um, and I, I'd already was nervous about the fact that I was in Southern Europe. Um, and, and it sounds weird to me now because I'd have like zero fear of like traveling by myself in Southern Europe. Like I'm actually considering going to Spain and just like taking a hike through the countryside just for fun, you know. But like at the time I was like, you know, I was young and I hadn't experienced what I've experienced now. And, and, and it was going to be $30 to buy the ferry ticket. I remember that round trip ferry ticket. And I was traveling with this guy, Mark, that I had met a couple weeks earlier. And he was like, I'm not going to Morocco. And I just couldn't do it. Like, I just, I was afraid, I was scared, and I chose not to go. Even though he said, hey, I'll wait here in southern Spain. You can go to Morocco for the day and come back, you know, whatever you want to do, right? Um, and I just decided, I, I, three days in a row, I woke up in the morning, I went and had coffee at this coffee house and watched the ferry come and go. Mm. And uh, three days in a row, I didn't go to Morocco. And uh, it's a great regret of my life. I've still never been to Morocco. I've since been back to North Africa and Egypt and things like that, but, but never went to Morocco. Um, and I probably should go one of these days because every time I tell this story, I think I should plan a trip to Morocco. <laughs> but like, but the, what I do, and this is what, you know, to answer your question, um, is I try to think to myself when I'm making a decision, is, is this a Morocco moment? Is this a moment that you're going to look mm -hmm. back at and regret? Because I regret not going to Morocco. Whatever would have happened there, even if it was scary, even if I had you know run out of money and had to call my parents and ask for them to send me some money or something, you know, because those are the kinds of things I was worrying about. Like those things, I would not regret looking back on it. You know, the things that seem a bit like a big deal usually are much less in, in the history of your life. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. And I, I, it reminds me of a quote that I've heard from a, a guy, real estate um, investor, author, similar to your story. And he, he says, everything you want is on the other side of fear. And I think you've lived that. And it's interesting. I think you tapped into it. The fact too, that now having traveled all over the world, you're like, that, that wasn't a big deal. It felt like a mountain to climb when you were sitting there looking at those ferries going back and forth, and yeah. it seemed insurmountable. But now looking backwards on your journey, you can say, that was such a, a little thing, and, and there's a regret with that. And so I wonder if really stopping and, and asking those questions for your journey, asking those questions when you're at those moments of fear, you know, um, realizing that they're, they're less of a big deal than we think they are. Well, and you know, there's some real wisdom there too. Cause like even talking about that first condo that I bought, right? Like a $30,000 condo. Now I buy multi-million dollar buildings. And in fact, recently bought an apartment building I never saw, you know, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I was like, oh, my partner saw it, good enough, right? Like, like these are, these are things that most people aren't comfortable doing, right? Yep. But, but I was terrified about that first condo. Like I, I knew I wanted to do it, but I thought about it a lot. I was scared to bring it up to my wife. I was 
nervous sending the money in, you know, the whole thing, right? I was really like actually scared about it, but I pushed myself through it partly because I thought, I don't, this can't be a Morocco moment. Like, I don't know how long I'm going to live. I've got to take care of my wife because like I might die of leukemia and I need her to have something going forward. Yeah. Right. Because I was the high income earner at the time. And when we moved to Tennessee, she quit her job to move down here and didn't work for several years. And um, and so I had to figure it out. Like I just I had to figure it out. I forced myself through it. And now looking back at it, like I would buy that. Like I, I might not buy it now because I feel like it's not worth bothering with. But like I definitely would. Buy, like I wouldn't hesitate. Right. Yeah. I'd make the decision about whether I wanted to buy it or not pretty quickly. And then I'd move on. Um, and because it's really not that big of a deal, but at the time it definitely seemed like a big deal and it was a big deal to me at the time, but those difficult things. And like you said, the, the, the things you want are on the other side of fear. Fear is super healthy. Like fear is something that, um, that, that, that gives us a, a moment to pause and make sure that we're not doing something dangerous. That's going to kill us. You know, fear is designed to protect us from like lions in the in the wilderness, right? It's not designed to protect us though from public speaking, from sharing our story, from buying real estate, like like those things. That 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 like from a biological perspective, they're 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 irrelevant, right? Like you're not going to die if you buy a bad deal. Just, it's not going to happen. Like, you, it's going to cause you consequences, no doubt. And you should certainly do your due diligence. I'm not minimizing. I feel like you want to die. Right? Yeah, but it's not going to kill you. You know, and that's not the thing that's going to cause you to die. Because you know, unless you like are in a really weird situation where like you can't afford food and and you starve to death or whatever. But but don't put yourself in that situation. You know, and most people that are in those kind of situations aren't trying to decide if they want to buy a building or not. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> No, that's that. Yeah, that's good. Well, and I think you're tapping into two. There's different levels of fear, right? And there's fear has its different purposes. But I think in our society and in our culture, you know, we have a lot of ultimate fears that just we've for whatever reason, it's been hyped up and it's it's been put there. So, well, let me ask you this here along your journey and you've shared there's been some different people, but I'm I'm curious you know, man, between between the the leukemia, you know, the bad days, the good days, no bad days, but uh, between all of that, who's really been instrumental for you? There it is. Yeah, there's the book. I love it. We'll uh, we'll attach that for show with show notes. But really, on your journey, I mean, who's helped you the most, and uh, how how have they helped you? Well, listen, I mean, so. That, that's like who's helped me the most. It's really hard to evaluate, right? Like I've had some really good partners. You know, my partner, Travis, who I did that first condo deal with. Um, the second deal I ever did was a condo in the same building. And I don't have any money. And it was about a month later. And he was like, we should buy this condo. And I'm like, I don't have the money. And he ended up loaning me half of the money for that, you know, right out of the gate. So like that kind of. Um, and plus, like when I first got sick, he, he's an attorney also. He came and worked for me for free for a while to cover some of my cases while I was in the hospital and things. So, you know, obviously he's helped me a tremendous amount. But, you know, just my upbringing in general has been super useful. Um, I had a boss when I worked at 7-Eleven for eight years that, that was a, like a mentor for me um, that really helped me see the world more clearly. Um, but, but honestly, like... I uh, I can't say there's any one person where I'm like man that that's the that's the one that made the difference because I've been really fortunate to surround myself with people doing really interesting things 
And, uh, and, and the more I do that, the more I learn. And the more I learn, the better I feel. You know, I have a life coach now, um, Dr. Jamil Syaj. I think he's been tremendous the last few years for me. Um, uh, you know, but, but again, I mean, I've like my partner, Brian, who's my partner in old fashioned real estate, he's the one that taught me how to get into syndicating and like how to do bigger deals using other people's money. I mean, you can't really argue about this stuff. Like in each step of the journey, there's been someone that's doing things that I want to do and I've learned from them. And I think that's the mm. secret, right? Is like, you have to like seek out relationships with people that are doing the things that you want to do and, 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 and not do it in the, I want to like steal from you. Like I want you to teach me kind of way, but like literally just go into the relationship and, and become friends with them and see what happens. Because there is wisdom in that you become the average of your five closest friends thing. Yeah. It's certainly been true for me as I've upped my level of associations, I've ended up uh, becoming a better, more interesting person, you know, and I, and I try to have somebody in my life that's traveled more than me that's getting difficult these days <laughs> i try to have someone in my life who's uh, a better christian than me i try to have someone in, in in my life that is a better business person a better real estate person than me and i try to have those people around me as much as i possibly can and sometimes they're the same person you know sometimes they're different that's good i think i think that's i think that's awesome the um you know, there, there's that old adage, you, you don't know what you don't know. And it sounds like you've sort of applied the mentality of just being a lifelong student. And I think that's something that I've seen even just walking, um, you know, in, in many respects for, with Nick for a number of years, but particularly the last couple of years, just recognizing like there, there is always something that you don't know yet. And if you're surrounding yourself with people that are also life, uh, lifetime students that are pursuing um, more knowledge, not for the sake of knowledge exclusively, but for the sake of personal growth and refinement, um, it really begins to change the people that you surround yourself with. It changes the conversations that you have. It changes the motivations that you have. And it, it, and it really begins to uh, hone and, sanct- you know, it, and refine um, who you are as an individual, but then I think that that also creates a level of possibilities that are pretty endless. As 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 endless as your willingness is to continue being a student, um, I think that's directly correlated to the yeah, so, to the successes. So I would add to that too, right? Like there's an endless possibility of what we can achieve. Like if there's any, you know, uh, I used to in a more limited mindset in the past, I used to think things like, um, um, Henry Ford said, you know, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're always right. Basically yeah. something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I used to think that kind of stuff was weird, uh, and, and silly, but, but I actually think there's real wisdom to this, right? Like, um, in fact, I just got done watching this documentary about Arnold Schwarzenegger on Netflix. Right. Um, and, and, and Arnold's book, Total Recall is an, an amazing book. And I don't know if you guys have had a chance to listen to that or read it, but, but, uh, it's an amazing book about his life story and his mindset. I mean, here's a kid, he's 15 years old. He's growing up in a poor family in Austria and he sees uh, a muscle man on a magazine um, and it's Mr. Universe and he says I will be Mr. Universe he doesn't even hesitate he's like I'm going to do that I want to be Mr. Universe and then he becomes Mr. Universe like seven times over and Mr. you know the greatest bodybuilder of all time Um, and in fact the reason that he wanted to be Mr. Universe is he um, saw this guy uh, 
married to an attractive young lady playing um, it was a movie he was a movie star he played um, Hercules in the movies at the time and was Mr. Universe and he was like I want that and his first movie role was playing Hercules and he married Hmm. into the Kennedy family for crying out loud and became a governor (laughs) I mean like in every step of the way he just was like I will do this like he doesn't hesitate he just had this mindset to say that he could do it and he didn't he didn't give himself another alternative and um I think there's real wisdom in recognizing that if if Arnold can do that, then then there's no reason we can't do that. Like, and I'm not saying we want to be. So, is the next next phase of your life, Mister Universe? I don't believe that that's something I want to do. <laughs> um, it seems like a lot of work, um, but but I mean, if we think about it in reality, like if anyone else in the world has done something, there's no reason we can't do it. Like, you know, mm. yeah, some people have other advantages and disadvantages. And, you know, my friend Brandon Turner, who you guys mentioned his pod, his previous podcast before Bigger Pockets, he, he told me once, he said, you know, the way that he looks at the world is the bigger that he can think about it, the um, more he's going to accomplish. So he just spends all of his time trying to figure out how to think of crazier things to do. And I was like, man, that's really smart. And I mean, this is not exclusive to Brandon, obviously. I mean, I think um, Kiyosaki and Trump wrote a book about it in the 90s. Like, if you're going to be thinking, you might as well think big or something yeah. like that. And and I mean, that's another example. I mean, love the guy or hate the guy, but like, like Trump is a guy who just kind of went like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to do these things because I think I can do them. And then, you know, we'll see how it works out for him in the end. But but I mean, it, it, at least he's had a long and interesting uh, run at it. Right. Yeah. So um, and I, I love that mindset, um, even if I uh, disagree with some of the stuff that he's done and said, you know, and, and it's the same thing with like Stallone is a good example of this. I don't know if you guys have ever paid attention to the story of Sylvester Stallone, but Stallone writes the script for Rocky right back in um in the in the 70s um and he's living in a van he has no money he writes the script right he's he's trying to sell the script and someone offers him ten thousand dollars for the script and he said great as long as i can play rocky and they were like no we're not letting you play rocky you're like a guy living in a van so what he does is he sells his dog to buy food Mm. this is the kind of poor he was right yeah and then then they offer him 20,000 and then 50 and then 100 then 300,000 and he turns it down every step of the way because they won't let him play Rocky I mean how do you have that kind of faith in yourself Seriously. right I would have been mm-hmm. like $300,000 in the 70s that's a couple million dollars today I think I would have taken it and been like I'll just write something else yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? like figure something else out right but no Stallone was like I'm going to play Rocky and finally he ends up taking $10,000 offer from someone else where he gets ten thousand, but he plays, but he gets to play Rocky, and the rest is history. He kept the rights to Rocky, and it's made him, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, it got him to be in Rambo and all the other stuff that he's done after that, yeah. um, and one of the biggest action stars in history, yeah. right? Because yeah. he believed in himself, yeah. and he believed he could do those things. So what I would say is, get really clear on what you want, and just go for that. Just go, go. And, and, and burn the bridges if, if you have to, you know, sink the ships, do all the whatever yeah. analogy and metaphor you want to use. Just 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 make sure you don't have a choice. Just go do it. Let's go. Man, that's great. No, and that's I, no bad days, man. I, can't, I got tattooed in two different languages on my arms now, you know, so like it's so like I'm like, I don't have a choice. I can't have bad days. That's I'm right. <laughs> the tattoos <laughs> for <my> bridges. 
you're, you're, you're walking marketing right. for your own self. I love it. Well, Jeff, this has been awesome. I want to transition here in the last couple minutes to our gold nugget round. It's the same four questions we ask all of our guests. So thank you for spending some time with us today. Let me jump into the first one here. So we talk a lot about the, the six F's of Abundant Journey, and I'm just going to have you pick one and tell us how you're growing in that area this year. So we got family, finance, faith, fitness, failures, and futures. So a lot of F's. Pick one. Tell us some uh, way you're growing this year. Okay, well, this is a difficult one for me because I went through a very unexpected divorce this year. <laughs> like, I didn't see it coming at all. And, it, and, and you know, I'm, I'll leave that alone for now. But but I'm working on all of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, because uh, I'm like, I'm trying to like readjust my whole life, right? My future is necessarily significantly different than what I thought it was going to be. Uh, my family situation is significantly different than what I thought it was going to be. Um, but fitness is one that I've been really thinking about lately. We're doing this thing called the Kind morning 40 in our last life ever uh, Facebook group um, and, and we're starting it in, in a couple like a week or so um, but we, we do it a couple times a year but like what I'm going to focus on in the kind morning 40 and what, what that is just shortly is K is for kindness so you do a random act of kindness every day I is for invest in yourself so you take 40 minutes to do something you wouldn't otherwise do um, and you pick something and do it 40 days in a row and then the N and D stands for no distractions or no drinking um, and then it's a more end morning is just you, you, you just create a morning routine and stick to it so Great. so I've decided and I started crafting like for this next 40 day challenge it's starting next week um, that I'm going to give up drinking for the 40 days that I'm going to work out uh, for 40 minutes a day I'm going to put in uh, stretching and walking in my morning routine um, and, and I'm going to really try to finish the year out um, yeah. improving my health um, so I've really been thinking about that and actually even when we were talking about like um, about Henry Ford a few minutes ago, I was thinking to myself, I have to make sure my mindset believes I can do this. Cause like, that's the main hang up. I'm like, I know I'm physically capable of working out. I know I'm physically capable of eating healthy and not drinking. I have to convince my brain that it's something I am going to do. So like burn the, the bridges. So doing the kind morning 40 and stating it out loud as often as possible is, is part of my strategy to burn the bridges. Like when I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, I told everyone in my Facebook group, I was going to get to the top and I'd, I'd send them a message from the top. And then I was like, well, I don't have a choice now. I told them I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know? I give up, got to go for it. And so that, that's what I'm working on right now. I love that. That's a, uh... That's something that Brandon Turner has also also often talked about is when you promise somebody else you're going to do it, all of a sudden the it, the level of commitment has just risen because you can yeah. you can you can lie to yourself or, or fail on yourself, but when you're uh, committed to other people, that's huge. So I, I love that, and I love that you you have a group around that as well, helping you work toward those goals. So next one here, and you've shared a lot of these already, but what's a quote from a book or mentor that stuck with you along your journey? Yeah, well, any of them that I've shared would, would be fine. So now, if you had warned me in advance, like if I'd been paying more attention, I would have saved a good quote for the end. Um, but, you know, uh, so I'll tell you something that helped me a lot this year since we're on the Brandon Turner bandwagon. So when I was first um, separated from my wife, I was talking to Brandon about it. Um, and I said to him, and I, I didn't 
I, I know much better now than I did then, even because we've had a we've, we've had a number of occasions to hang out in the last year, which has been really awesome. It's been a really fun uh, experience. Um, I even went to his house and hung out in, in in his house in Maui for a little while, and and got to meet his kids and his wife and all that stuff. So it was really cool. But um, but Brandon said to me, I said to him one day, I said, Brandon, I'm sorry, I'm bringing all this stuff to you. You know, like I feel like you know I really don't know you that well, and like now I'm just like dumping all of this emotional baggage on you. And he said, Jeff, you know, um, um, one thing I, I think about when it comes to friendship is that everyone thinks that being a friend is being available uh, for people when they need you. And that's certainly part of it. But the other part of being a friend is sharing the stuff that you need to share with the people that care about you. Because if you don't do that, they can't be your friend. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I thought, I got to remember that because that is a brilliant, brilliant concept. So I don't know, I paraphrased a little bit. So it's not really an answer to your question. It's not really no, that's awesome. But the concept that that part of being a friend is being there for people when they need you. But the other part of being a friend is letting people be there for you when you need them. Yeah, no, that's great. And I this just that. shows you how great of a person Brandon Turner is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, a hundred percent. No, and that I mean, he's been a catalyst for a lot of the stuff that we do. So I, I love that. Yeah, I met him by the way. Like um, when I was on his show, it was like I met him a few weeks before I recorded that episode, and uh, um, and you know, over the last couple of years, we've had occasion to run into each other in various places. We went to we went to Universal Studios together, just the two of us, and and had like a really amazing <laughs> Universal Studios in Hollywood um, earlier this year. And uh, that's when I was like, okay, I guess I really am friends with Brandon Turner now. <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Well, next one here, and uh, you know, I'm going to answer this for you if you don't, but uh, we'll see where you take it. What's a dream or a goal that you've not been able to make happen yet? I want to see the um, Earth rise from the moon. Okay. Like you know, where like you do like orbiting the moon, and then you see the Earth come up over the the, yeah. the the side of that. That that's that's like a long term dream. I mean, obviously, I can't make that happen. But but listen, most of the stuff on my so I, I don't have a bucket list because I, I have a personal objection to that. So I have what I call a life list. Mm. Um, because the last time I had a bucket list, I crossed off the last thing and got diagnosed with leukemia like the next day. So I'm like, like I really like that. So I'm like, no more bucket list. Put a lot of stuff on it and call it a life list. So I try to keep a hundred things always that I want to do, and whenever I accomplish one, I try to think of something new. Yeah. Um, so there's a ton of stuff on there that I'd love to do. Yeah. Um, going to space is definitely on that list, but um, but I think some of the things that that I really do want to accomplish is um, you know I want to I want to just keep working on making the world a little bit better and I think I do that by getting my message out there more and more yeah. and um, yeah my book's a good start to that but I want to um, I want to grow the podcast uh, the last life ever podcast I want to I want to write a follow-up book because this book um, it's good but I'll have more to say about it so yeah. mm-hmm. and I've learned a lot since I wrote it you know the stuff that I've gone through in the last year has taught me a lot about myself so I have more to share there's always more to share. I love that. And uh, I thought you were going to say uh, your your Morocco moment, but I, I think you need to add, make sure that you get back to that. And you, uh, you know that's funny? It's not even on my list. <laughs> that, listen, that I, needs to get put on the list today. <laughs> I, I, I know. And I've, I've thought that several times. And I, I there's like, for whatever reason, I have just not added it. Like I've just, every time I've thought about adding it, I've been like, 
nah. But but you know what? Um, this year, this year of transition for me, you know, yeah. going through things that I never expected to do, um, it might be a good time to do it. I think yeah. you actually are right about that. You need to you need to go have a cup of coffee in that little cafe and watch the ferry a couple times before yeah. you go get on it. <laughs> that place was called the Lighthouse. I tried to Google it to see if it was still there, and I did not find it. But listen, right now I'm looking at my phone. I'm over, I keep my list on my phone. I'm adding it to my list and right now. Let's go. I love, I love it. it. I love Thank it. you for challenging me, Nick. Hey, I, I got you. Yeah. I, you know what? Again, I, I can't even take credit. Our our boy Turner, and this is not a gushing on Brandon Turner, but he shares the story about when he learned jujitsu, and it was prompted by Jocko, the Navy SEAL, was on the podcast with him, and he goes, yeah, I want to learn jujitsu someday, and he said Jocko leaned in, and he goes, someday? When? And Brandon yeah, I mean, Turner so kind of shrunk. Well, six come, right? five or whatever of Brandon Turner said he shrunk down and it was like uh, next week, and he goes, "You better, <laughs> you better be there." And so he knew he w- he had an accountability partner. So Jeff, you got it on the list. I love it. It's good. Yeah, and actually, I wrote I wrote take the ferry to Morocco because I think that's more us. Uh, yes, in symmetry, awesome. right? Like I can't like just I could fly to Marrakesh. You know, I could get on a plane and go to Marrakesh, or I can take the ferry to Morocco. And I think that's what has to happen. I have to revisit southern Spain, go to Gibraltar, see those goofy apes on the top of the rock, look over at Morocco, and then go to the coffee house. There it is. I love it. Yes. Well, last question, Jeff, here. I love it. I'm glad we got it on the list. Last question. You've said a lot already here, but at at, at the end of your life, what do you hope you'll be remembered for? And I don't care. I don't. I, as long as I'm okay with the way I live my life. Um, I, you know, I mean, there's a vanity part of me that's like, I hope that I made enough of a difference that people remember me. But um, I don't have any kids. I don't, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have any reason to have a legacy other than I want to help people now while I'm here. Yeah. Um, so um, I think of it more like I have this, this thing that I frame some of my thoughts through, and that is that at the end of the day, I would love to be an old guy sitting in a bar somewhere and have a young guy sit down next to me and be like, what's up, old timer? And me just tell him some stuff about my life and have enough interesting stuff to say that the kid sticks around and listens to me. And then I know I've been successful. You know, if I've done, a, done enough interesting stuff that some like 20 year old kid wants to hear what I have to say, then I'm okay. <laughs> You've arrived. That- <laughs> That's one of the most interesting answers I've ever heard. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I want to. I I mean, I I know that that was the last question, but there's there is one concept I think is really relevant to your listeners, and and I've been toying with the idea of writing a book about what I call hashtagification, and we alluded to this earlier. Um, when we talked about how no bad days is, it's more than just saying no bad days, right? Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's more to it, but it's a hashtag, right? When I hashtag something, no bad days, or when I write Hakuna Sinkumbaya, which is, is a Swahili for no bad days on my arm, I know what I mean by it. Yeah. Maybe no one else does, but I do because I've created a framework around that mental hashtag. And, um, I, I, I think there's real wisdom to, to taking discrete concepts or to taking really complicated concepts and simplifying them into discrete phrases. Um, this, this is what I said, like I call it hashtagification, but it's the idea of distilling a concept to something that you can, re, you can bring up in your mind really quickly. Mm. Um, it's part of the mental work that I do um, on a regular basis. 
you know, and I, I do other things too. Like I have a letter I write to myself every year that, that that's basically dated a year in the future. And then I read it out loud to myself periodically and s sort of see how I've done it. It'll say things like, I can't believe it's January 1, 2024 already. All this amazing stuff happened this year and I'll write it in January of 2023, right? And then, yeah. and then that whole year I have this like frame for my thing. Um, but there's this thing I, I came up with and, and I bring it up now because you said that was an interesting answer and it triggered it for me. Um, I personally make a lot of decisions under that Morocco moment hashtag, right? But the other, the other thing I frame it through is what would the most interesting man in the world do? Mm. Like I say, most interesting, I'm like that Dosaki guy. Like I want to be that guy. <laughs> like not literally want to be that guy, but that's really like, I, I feel like if the Dosaki guy sat down in the bar next to like a 20 year old kid, the 20 year old kid would want to listen to what the Dosaki guy oh, says. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, what I just described was me trying to be the most interesting man in the world. Yeah. And so if I'm remembered for anything, um, maybe like the seventh most interesting man in the world would be like, <laughs> I don't know, I mean, the most interesting seems a bit ambitious. So I haven't yeah. quite wrapped my head around believing I can get there yet. Sure. Um, Elon Musk's probably got me beat, you know. I'm just <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest. Yep. Well we got we also got Rocky on the list and uh yeah, exactly. you know, Techie guy and, and Stallone and all that. No, this that's awesome. No, I, I think those are great goals. I, I love the the no bad days and speaking of which, tell our audience here how they can get in touch with you or, or follow what you're doing. Yeah, so I mean the easiest way to get in touch with me directly is probably like Instagram. Um, but you know, the problem with Instagram is if I don't follow you, I don't always see your messages. So just be patient if you send me a message on there. Um, it's just at Jeffrey Holst. Um, but otherwise, my website, jeffreyholst.com, it has all of my connections on it. Um, and, you know, there are uh, the Last Life Ever private Facebook group that I alluded to. Uh, all you got to do is click I agree and you can join that. And that's um, that's I love that. That's a group of, uh, I don't know, 12, 1300 people that are engaged in living the best version of their lives. They're encouraging people. They're sharing stuff about their lives and things they're going through. Um, and so if you comment in there, I'm going to see it. I, I pay a lot of attention to what goes on in there. That's great. Well, we'll add those into the show notes and uh, we'll attach the book as well. Definitely check that out. Jeff, this has been awesome, man. Thank you for being on. Tyler, you want to add anything yeah. before we close it out? No, no. Just It's great seeing you again. Glad you're glad you're healthy, doing well, and um, always a gift. And, and I, I would even just say, you, you, the one thing I would just add is just a, a thank you. I, I'll never forget uh, when I text you, I was like, I have no idea if this guy's even going to text me back. You hit me right back and you're like, hey, there's this little breakfast joint that I hang out. Come have breakfast. And um, so I, I just think that the um, your approachability and um, you know the the humility that that exists is just it just says a lot and it means a lot and and some of those conversations they they they, they were pretty significant for us and so i just want to say thank you personally um, i'm hey you know what i'm really glad that that i could help a little bit but the reality is all that is about taking action right like you reached out to someone you didn't know um and 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 i, and I respect it when people do that yeah. now i'll be honest i can't meet with every just just in case anyone else is going to reach out to me i cannot meet with Person. But if people come to a place where I am, which is what you did, that's the other thing. I said, hey, I'm going to be at this breakfast place, right? Like, I'm going to be there. That's where I go. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I go there frequently when I'm in Chattanooga, when I'm stomping around, as you say, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> like, and by the way, Nick, if you're ever stomping around Chattanooga, feel free to reach out. I'll, I'll um, find the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's called the track set. It's on Amnicola, so you should be able to find it. And I don't care if anyone else finds it, too. If someone shows up at the track set and I happen to be there, I'll be nice, I promise. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's true in Puerto Rico, too. I had this um, person that follows me on Instagram was driving down the street in Puerto Rico and yelled out their window, hey, I follow you on Instagram. I'm like, cool. And then she says to me, can we meet up later? And I'm like, that's the bar I hang out at. If you show up there, we can meet up. Come on over. <laughs> I'll be there later tonight. That's great. And then she did, and she was actually really cool. She was from Houston, and she just happened to see me on the street and knew I lived in Puerto Rico part-time and was like, I want to meet that guy. That's cool. And, uh, and she's a real estate investor out of Houston, so it was, it was pretty cool. That's yeah. great. Well, Jeff, man, this has been awesome. We'll have you on again as well and, and hear the follow-up to the Moroccan visit and also uh, – how the spaceship, yeah. how, the, how looking looking at the moon goes. But man, it, this has been great. We're just grateful for you. And uh, listeners, thank you for jumping in with us and, and listening to Jeff's story today. Thank you for walking the journey. As always, give a like, subscribe, and, and uh, give us some comments if you have any questions. But until next time, thanks for listening, and we uh, will see you again soon.